let's, as we get started, let's, um, let's just stand up one more time and pray. I know you've already prayed a lot, but guess what? We're in church. And even if you weren't in church, let's live lives of constant prayer, okay? Okay, so let's pray. Tune your heart to the Lord right now. Father, would you teach us right now through your word what you have to speak to us? Would, you, would the things that happen in these minutes ahead of us change our lives and change our perspectives about what, who you are and what you're doing and what you want from us? And would we know you more because of it? Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you guys remember, we're doing a series, but I want to see if you guys remember what the name of the series is. What's it called? God's Grand Story. I heard three people say that. Guys, this is a series that we've gone through for several months called God's Grand Story. It's a story, an epic drama of the creator of the universe writing his story into history. But here's the amazing thing about it. You're not just innocent bystanders watching this thing unfold. You're a part of it. And what's even more amazing is that he has invited you to be co-authors of this epic drama. You're a part of writing the story. Now, you only might only get 70 years to be a part of co-authoring it, but your part is important. The choices that you make, the decisions that you're making today are part of the story. And the way that you decide today will determine how things turn out in the future. It's not as though God just read this whole thing and you're going to just walk through it without making decisions. You're a part of it. Praise God. So in this giant epic story, this drama that we've been studying, we've been looking at different parts of that story. Last week, I want to remind you guys where we were last week. You guys remember who spoke last week? Jonathan. Got three people that said Jonathan. Okay. And you guys remember what he talked about? Elijah. Got, okay, good. You guys remembered. Okay. Elijah. And remember what Elijah's passion is. Elijah's name means... That Yahweh is God. And I don't know if that's really his name or if that's his nickname that he was known by. But his whole life is passionately devoted to proving to the people of Israel that God is Yahweh. That Yahweh is God and not that false God Baal or Baal. And so we ended up last week after the showdown on top of Mount Carmel where 400 prophets of Baal gathered, and Elijah came, and he got down after dousing the altar with water, and he prayed, and the fire of the Lord fell, and the altars burned up, and he wins the day. And he thinks, we're done. And he runs back to Jezreel. He's so excited, and yet there's one person in particular who's not excited, and that's the queen. You can't just please the king, you got to please the queen, as some of you guys know. So, she says, this guy's dead meat. He's dying tomorrow. But before tomorrow, he runs. And he runs all the way to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, to meet with God. And he gets there and he says, God, I am done. I've worked so hard and nobody's listening. It's not working and I give up. And God says, buddy, you're not done. But... I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to give you a break. And so far that break has lasted about 2,500 years. But the Old Testament ends with the promise that Elijah is going to come back. And he's going to finish the work that he was supposed to do when he was here. 
Okay, and God's sovereign over that whole thing. But God also tells him, before you leave, before I take you out of here for a break, I'm, I want you to anoint a guy named Elisha to be your successor. So don't get these two guys confused. The first guy, the old guy, is Elijah, and the new guy is Elisha. Okay, so let's read how Elisha gets called. Okay, we're in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So, Elijah, old guy, sets out from there, from Mount Horeb, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were 12 yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the 12th yoke. Elijah passed by and threw his mantle over him, and Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, hold on a second, let me kiss my mother and father, and I'll follow you. And Elijah says something that's pretty rude, but apparently is impacting Elisha's life because he says, go back again, for what have I done to you? And returned, Elisha returned from following Elijah, took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh. He burned the equipment, he burned the plow. And he gave it to the people and they ate. And he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. Okay, I want you to see what's going on here. Elisha has been doing his work all these years. He just had three and a half years where he wasn't able to do the work because there hadn't been any rain. But finally the rain has come and he's ready to get those, the seed in the ground and he's out there plowing. And as he's just getting ready for the next harvest, hopefully this harvest will be good, here comes old man Elijah. And doesn't say a word to him. He just walks up and throws his coat over him and just keeps walking. And it must have taken Elisha a little bit to catch the significance of what was going on. But all these years, surely God's been talking to him. Surely he's heard about what's, what's gone on with Elijah and about the battle between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And as he's got that coat on him, realizing what just happened, he takes off running after him. And he catches up to him, and he says, just hold on. I'll go with you, but I've got some things to do first. And in essence, what Elijah says to him is, look, dude, I'm not forcing you. Do whatever you want. I'm not making you do this. Here's what I want you guys to get from this. When the Lord calls his people, he doesn't force them. And so there, I think sometimes we're waiting for God to call us and like kind of force us into this thing. He doesn't do that. And some of us in this room have missed the call of God to do something significant in our lives because we couldn't believe that some old man handing us a coat was actually the, the word of God to us. We thought, oh, come on, it's got to be something bigger than that. Guys, the word of God to you is subtle. Don't miss it. So Elisha makes a choice. He decides that he's going back. He's closing the doors to his business. He's taking care of the people that have been working for him. He burns the oxen. He kills the oxen. He burns the plow. What's he doing? What's his motivation in this? Here's what I think it is. I think he is eliminating every possible temptation in his life to go back to what God had called, to go back from what God had called him to do, back to his old business. He's going to have hard times in the future, and he doesn't want that being back there. We're like, okay, I think I could go back to that. 
He's got a point now of no return. I'm going to follow Elijah. So he follows Elijah. He follows Elijah. And he learns from him. Learns and learns. He becomes his disciple. Hangs on to him until the day that Elijah is taken into heaven. And on that day, he picks up Elijah's coat again. And he takes on himself the responsibility of fighting this battle against the false gods. Particularly the false god of Baal. What I want us to see is an example of Elijah's miracles. See how he does this. He does it subtly. He doesn't do it with uh, force. He does it as a man of God would because he's following the example of God himself. So we've got miracle after miracle in the chapters ahead. And I'd like to talk about all those miracles today, but we don't have time. So I want to look at one miracle. One miracle in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Like, guys, let's go there. We're going to look at this and we're going to see how we can apply this story to our lives. Okay? Chapter 5, verse 1, Naaman. Now, there's another guy. There's a new guy enters the story. A guy named Naaman. He's the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now, what's Aram? Aram is the country of Syria. Okay? The enemies of the Israelite people. So here's this man who's a commander of the enemies of God's people. And he's a great man. He's in high favor with his master, because the Lord had given him victory in his war, in the wars. Victory against in the wars against who? Against God's people. God has allowed this man Naaman to defeat God's people because God's people were worshiping other gods. Okay. The man, this man Naaman, though a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. He's got a skin disease. And here's a little background of the story. Now, the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. Think about this. She's been kidnapped. Her parents have probably been killed by this guy who she's serving. She has every reason in the world that she could hate him. But instead of hating her master who she's serving, she actually cares about him. And we know that she cares about him because look in verse 3. She says to her mistress, if only my Lord, speaking of Naaman, my master, if only my master Naaman were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Who's that? Talking about Elisha. If only he was with the prophet in Samaria, Elisha, then Elisha could cure him of his leprosy. And here's what's amazing, guys is this girl has so much credibility with this great man that he packs up. His whole entourage gets permission from his master, the king, and they travel all the way to Samaria. Now, how far is that? I want you to see a map. Google Maps tells you these things, okay? So, you can't see where he's coming from, but that's Damascus up there. I don't know if you can see what it says, 49 hours. That's like, you know, eight hours a day. Who's hiked for eight hours a day? Will Hoffman has. You should go with him sometime. Okay, this is like a six-day trip, okay? And I want you to notice, as he, as he gets into Israel, he crosses over. See the lake there? If you go straight down from that lake, 
down in the lake down below, there's a river through the lowest valley on earth called the Jordan River. Now, just keep that in mind because we're, we're going to remind you of that in this story. So, he goes all this way, and he finally finds Elisha's home. Okay, he finds Elisha's home, pulls up in front of the house with his whole entourage, expecting that Elisha's going to come out and do his thing. Elisha doesn't even come out. Elisha sends a messenger out because he already knows that this guy's coming because the Lord has told him. And he says, go out and tell that guy, go down, go back to the Jordan River and take seven baths in the Jordan River. Okay, let's read about it. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. And Naaman thinks, what? This is crazy. I want healing. I want medicine. I want divine intervention. I'm not interested in going back to the Jordan River. Look at what happens in verse 11. Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me, for me, because I'm so great, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? And he turned away in a rage. Okay, I want you to think about what he's so upset about. He is upset. For the same reason that people get upset when you tell them that Jesus is the answer to all their problems. That he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And people are like, no way. What makes you so big to think that my religion or my way or my logic isn't just as good as yours? Stop bugging me and they think Christians are so narrow-minded. Here's the deal. If they don't think you're narrow-minded, then there's something wrong with your message. Because the truth is, this is a narrow road. It's not however you like it. There is a right way. It's only at the Jordan River that Naaman can be healed. That's why he turns away in a rage. It wasn't just that it seems so silly to Naaman to go all the way back down there. Or that his pride in the rivers of his own country made him mad. But he'd just been there. Go to, show, show that next picture. He'd just been down there. And now he's being asked to go 14 hours back down to the Jordan River. 15 hours, I guess. 14 hours. Okay. All the way back down there. And it's like, it's not an easy walk down and back up. How many of you guys have been at the Grand Canyon? How many of you guys have hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon? How many of you have hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back up in the same day? They tell you you're not supposed to, but my son Kyle did when he was about 12 years old. He had to sleep on the way back. It's a long way. And now this guy's been told, okay, you can be healed, but just go down there. 14 hours down, 14 hours back. You've got to be kidding. Here's what I want us to get out of this. You may not have leprosy, but I know that every one of us has things in our lives, challenges in our lives that we're facing 
that will not be resolved without us being willing to turn around the way we came and walk, hike all the way back down. This is the lowest place on earth that he's talking about. All the way back down there and get in the water that represents dying to our own selfish desires. See, that's what the Jordan River represents. The Jordan River represents a baptism of death to my old life. That I once was something, and now I'm something new. My old life is over. My new life has begun. Remember when the Israelites came out of the desert? Before they came up into the promised land, they have to cross the Jordan River. Remember when Jesus starts his ministry? Just before he starts his ministry, he's baptized there. There's this leaving the old life and starting anew. Here's what this means for me and for you. The restoration that you're seeking, the healing of your mind, the healing of maybe even your body, the breakthrough into the life to the fullest that Jesus died so that you could live, that's not going to happen without a retreat. Down to the Jordan River, taking off your fancy robes, your war medals, letting go of your trophies, and going under the water. So Naaman, finally, after all of his rage, he says, okay, I'll do it. He goes down those 14 hours down the hill, gets under the water, he comes up, he looks at his skin, and it doesn't seem to make much of a difference at all. But he remembers that the messenger from Elijah's house said, you've got to do it seven times. So under he goes again, back up. And then again, and again, and again, and again. I think by the end of the sixth time, he's thinking, you've got to be kidding. Is this some kind of a joke to prove that we're so stupid, us Arameans? Is, he, is Elijah just trying to get back at us? But he goes under the water one last time. He comes up and he says, look at, look at what it says in verse 14. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy. And he was clean. I want you guys to see a picture of a clean boy at the Jordan River. Can you put that up? There you go. There's my son. That's the Jordan River. Who, who's been there before? Oh, man, we need to take a field trip. Let's go. And Pastor Gary will pay for us. Okay. So, guys, I want you to think about what this means for you. Naaman's healing process came through a process of obedience to do something that seemed totally unrelated to his situation. It seemed crazy for him to think that going down there and getting into the water seven times would be the key to his healing. But it was the key. And he was healed because of his obedience. So here's the application for us, guys. The solution to what we're facing, what you're facing in your life right now, isn't going to come through something that makes sense logically. 
The solution for the situation that you face right now is going to come through a process of obedience. You guys, you guys understand where, where, uh, this? It's over and over again, under the water, obeying the word of the Lord. You know, truthfully, we don't like processes. We like to go to the doctor, say, Doc, here's my problem. Give me the pill. Take the pill, and I'm going to go, and I don't want to see that doctor again until there's another problem. And truthfully, we, we kind of want to treat God like that. It's like, God, I'll meet you on Sunday at church. I'll tell you all my problems for the week. Give me what I need so I can go out and live my life. But God's plan for you is not to make your life easy. Yeah, I hear people laughing, because you know. His plan for you is something that's so much bigger than that. Because he is doing something to conform you to the likeness of Jesus. To make you like Jesus. And that takes a process of going under the water again and again and again. So, as I've been thinking about this over the past few years, as I've been under the water a bunch, I thought, Lord, what can I, what can I share today that could be that you could do as part of your process? See, there is a life to the fullest that Jesus wants to give you, but it's even though salvation is totally free. What do you have to do? What do you have to do to earn salvation? Nothing, zero. He did it all. You just say thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. He earned the salvation for you. But the great, full life, the abundant life that he wants to offer you is dependent on how you live and the choices that you make. So I want to give you seven things, like seven dips in the water, okay, that will help you if you'll implement these things. These are things that I've implemented in my life. The first one is you believe. You trust in Jesus. Think about Naaman when he's back there in Damascus and this girl tells him, hey, you got to go there. He believes her. He believes her word. And he risks going to enemy territory because he believes that there is a solution for him. Guys, first step, if you want breakthrough in your life, if you want the, to live the abundant life that Jesus has to offer you, you believe, you trust him. You say, Jesus, thank you for paying for me. Thank you that I'm free. And you don't just do that once. You say, Lord, I've got situations in my life right now. I trust you. I'm going to the man of God. Jesus. Okay, second thing. Some of you guys have done that. Some of you guys are saying, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Second thing is you, you show up at the man of God's house, and he says, time to be baptized. Time to go down to the Jordan River. Because if, if you've been trusting Jesus, but you haven't been willing to submit to his rule in your life and humble yourself to be put under the water, what are you waiting for? Be baptized. we got a tank right here. We're having baptisms here in a few weeks. If you haven't been baptized yet, obey Jesus. Get baptized. It'll make a difference. Okay? Thirdly, third dip is make things right. I want you to see verse 15, what Elisha does. 
after he gets healed. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, his entourage, and he came and stood before Elisha and said, Now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I was wrong, and you were right. Your God is the right one. That takes humility. Guys, if you want breakthrough in your life, if you want healing in your life, there are people that you need to go to who you'd rather not see. You go make things right. And I know you say, I've already forgiven them. Okay, you go to them and make it right to the best of your ability. You say, you have no idea what that person did to me. You know what? What that person did to you is nothing as painful or as evil as what you did to Jesus. You put Jesus on the cross. That person didn't do that to you. You go make it right. If there is one person in this world who you, who you are holding ill will against, you're blocking the fullness of life that Jesus has died to give you. Today is the day of salvation, guys. And I know, you, as soon as I start talking about this, you're, like, you're thinking of a person. You think, do I need to go to that person? If you're thinking of that person, as soon as I start talking about this, that's the Lord speaking to you. You want the Lord to speak to you. Don't not listen to him, because if you don't listen to that, why is he going to speak to you more? Go make it right. Okay, dip four. You worship every day. I want you to think about what happened to Naaman. Naaman had been healed. His life had been restored. And he's excited about it. He's excited about this true God, Yahweh of Israel. And so he goes back and he tells Elisha, the man of God, he says this, verse 17. Then Naaman said, please let two, two mule loads of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God except the Lord. He's taking dirt back to Syria. What's that all about? Well, here's what it is. He knows that the God of the land of Israel is the one true God who's worth being worshipped. The God of the land of Israel is the true God, and therefore, since he can't live in Israel because they're enemies, he takes back part of the land of Israel so that he can worship God. What does he want to do? He wants to worship God. If God has touched your life, if he's healed you, if he's brought you through what should have been death, spiritual death, let's worship him. And let's not just worship him on Sundays. Let's worship him every day. And here I got good news for you guys. You don't have to have own two mules that you carry around a bunch of earth on the back of. You don't even have to necessarily carry around a Bible with you. We used to carry around big Bibles. Now you got it on your phone. But even if you didn't have your phone, you know what? His spirit lives in you. He is in you. He is with you. And he invites you into a relationship of worship with him because it will change your life. And I just want to beg you guys, live a life where worshiping Jesus every day is necessity. I mean, I've got this little table that I built. 
at home where every morning I'm on my knees at the table. I love my time there. I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm memorizing scripture. It's, 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 I think it's my favorite place in the DFW area. That's just that little spot. That's my spot because I'm with the Lord. And, and if you want breakthrough in your life right now, I'm just saying let's live lives where that is priority. I know you guys are, are like, oh, I don't got time. You don't got time to not do this. And you don't have to carry around two mule loads full of dirt. Guys, just say this with me. Say, no Bible, no breakfast. Say it a little bit louder. No Bible, no breakfast. Okay, this is something I taught to the college students for years. They're all, you know, always, I don't got time. Well, you had time for breakfast? You had time for coffee? Live your life where this is the most important thing, communion with God, worship with Him. Okay, number four, five, tip five, be a part of fellowship. Could God have healed Naaman back when he was in Damascus? Sure, God could have done that. Why didn't he? Because that's not the way God does things. God heals and restores and gives the breakthrough in the context of connection with God's people. And I know what so many people are thinking. Like, I got Jesus, me and him. You got Jesus on a spiritual level, but you got to connect to his body if you want breakthrough. This is his body. Now, you guys will do better than what they did in first service. I want to take, take 10 seconds to do this. Stand up, look around, look at the body of Christ. You guys, do this. Come on. Come on, this participation. Okay, look at all these people. This is the body of Jesus. If you want breakthrough in your life, be a part of this thing. Not just Sunday morning, but be a part of the lives of these people. You guys can sit down. So, would you guys just say with me, this is Jesus' body. You're the body of Jesus on this planet. Okay, number six, dip six. Give. And I want to combine this with serve. Verse 15, Naaman tries to give Elisha a gift. You know why? Because his life's been changed. When your life's been changed, you don't think, I wonder how much i got to give to Elisha. You think, what can I give this guy to show my gratitude? And as you grow in Christ, you stop to think about, I wonder how much I have to give and still get by. Guys, give. Give your lives. This is the reason that you have money. So that we can make a difference in the world. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, you, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Guys, I was just on the other side of the world with people that are so impoverished. I mean, I felt like I was handing out money like it was candy. I mean, like, like six, six dollar bills. I mean, six bucks to give this pe- these people food? It wasn't enough. There were a million others that I saw. But I just, I, the joy of, I mean, I, when I make money, I don't think, I, I wonder how much I have to give away. Give it away. Give it away. And there's something that happens, a breakthrough that happens when we start to live like that. Okay, last one. Dip seven. Go tell the world. Jesus has done wonderful things for us. What do you think that, you, that Naaman did when he got back to Syria? He kept it all secret. No way. Everybody, like, look, look, I'm well, I've been healed, 
And I got healed by this weird thing. I had to dip in the, in the Jordan River seven times, but it was the God of the people of Israel that healed me. He told his story. Guys, tell your story. And if you're thinking, well, I don't know who, who to tell, then meet me right after this service because I'm doing an informational meeting for the, trip, the people that I'm taking to Japan this summer. Come to Japan with me. They'll listen to you. You got to know how to do it. Guys, tell the people you work with, tell your family, Jesus has saved your life. Jesus has done marvelous things for us. We've been healed. We've been healed. So guys, let's just stand up and let's, my hope is that the Lord is speaking to you, even now as I'm speaking, that that you're thinking, oh, I could do that. I could get baptized, or I could give, or I could be a part of fellowship. Guys, this is entrance into life to the fullest that Jesus gave us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, here we are as people who, we don't, we don't know how to make all this work. and We don't even know how to uh, start to do some of these things. But Lord, would you train us? Would you dip us again? Just like you're doing for me, Lord, dipping me again and again in the river of dying to myself. I'm learning, Lord. I don't got this all figured out. But you're teaching us. And so, Lord, would you just continue to teach us? And even, is it a, even as I've been talking today, would you have been speaking to hearts here where some of, the, some of my friends here are just saying, yes, I need to take a, a, a new step. I need the fullness of life that Jesus, that you're offering me. And I realize there's some things I can do myself to implement that breakthrough. So would you help us, every one of us, Lord, would you train us? We're not smart. My message doesn't make any difference if you're not working in people's hearts. But would you work in us? Would you clean us? Would you clean the leprosy off of us again and again and again? But thank you, Lord, that you did the ultimate of dying for us that we could have eternal life for free. So every one of us, we're offering ourselves to you today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.